Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag. And it wouldn't be Sunday and it wouldn't be special without my good friend and co-host, Andrew Page. How are you, mate? I'm very good, sir. How are you? I'm very well this wonderful Sunday slash Thursday morning. Uh, mate, I'm, yeah, I'm exceptional. We just did the last podcast. I had a lot of fun with you. So I'm looking forward to another fun uh, chat about some things that our listeners have sent in <laughs> for us. Uh, chat I, slash rant? Ah, you know. We'll see how we go. Um, uh, yeah, I actually do wonder how many listeners we've got now after your rent on Friday. Possibly uh, a smaller subset of people than we used to have, but that's okay. That's uh, the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> mate. Plenty, plenty more where that came from. <laughs> so I have, uh, well, you'll like our first question there, mate, speaking of polarising. Before we do, um, I should mention, we mentioned Peter's question, uh, Peter's lovely gifts last week, the T-shirts. They are still in front of me. We haven't yet got to uh, get in the same place. I'm, I'm locked out of Greater Sydney. You are locked into Greater Sydney. So I'll probably whack them in the mail and we'll try and have some photos up on social media. So, Peter, thank you. We have still got the shirts. Uh, we are going to get that organised. Just, uh, yeah, the <laughs> restrictions are restrictions. COVID, hey. Um, mm-hmm. let's, let's start. Speaking of polarising, speaking of rants, speaking of things you can get excited about, we've got a question from Ajit during the week. Mm-hmm. Question I think you'll like. He sent me a link to a tweet, and the tweet reads this. Just in, former US President Trump to launch a new social media network. That's right. And truth. It, truth, exactly. And Ajit says, would it be a good IPO to consider if it goes public? Now, he did put some uh, laughing, crying, crying, laughing uh, emojis after it. So I'm not entirely sure. Ajit is, uh, is genuine with his question, but I thought because you're such an open, uh, non-judgmental guy, mate, who's happy to take all comers, <laughs> I figure I figure you'll be happy to invest in this if it's a, if it's a decent price. Oh, God, no. <laughs> didn't, it, didn't it within, like, moments of launching get hacked? Uh, like, didn't his own account get hacked? Apparently. And, and, you know, it's just sort of... <laughs> Oh, and, and just the name of it, right? Like, the, like, it, like if you could think of a worse possible name, like a, a less apt name than truth, then I, I you know, what a joke. I need a no. Sound- I, w- I would not invest in it. I would not invest in it. I need it. a sound effect with a uh, fishing rod spooling out and, and hooking a uh, hooking your fish, <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. I thought you might respond to that one, mate. I, uh, yeah, gee, you know, look, I will show you Andrew's sentiment. I'm not sure I'll be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a prediction. I don't do predictions, Andrew. I'm gonna predict this never goes public. <laughs> Yes. Let's, let's start with that one. Although strange yeah. things have happened. There was a, um, you know what's, so this is the funny thing about online businesses, right? And it's the globalized world means that you can have a reasonably successful business or at least one that's, you know, moderately successful with a really small number of people these days. Oh, yeah. You know, the whole it's idea such a of, great point. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's um, 7 billion of us, I guess. How many, oh, 3 billion probably get internet access, I guess. Uh, more billion. than that. It's is up, it? I think it's, yeah, it's closer to five, I want to say. Go. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't counted, but you obviously have, which is good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, you know the, they call of the minimum viable product and the, what do they call the audience? Small viable audience or something, anyway. The, the very idea that you actually don't need, you know, it, it's entirely possible that if you can get enough people who think the same thing as you do, believe the same thing as you do, are interested in the same things you are, and it's like that. This is the this is the great thing about I, like I'm I have a bit of a love hate relationship with social media. But one of the great things is you can find your tribe really easy. If you're a kid in the country in outback somewhere in Australia, doesn't matter which state, um, and you have a particular interest in art or sport or you know whatever whatever your thing is, right? 
you can find people like you a click away. And that is well, such a cool thing. And then Well, more, more to the point, it's not something like art and sport are pretty general. You, you can be the kind of person that is into antique dolls from Germany between 1930 and 19... Like something that's yeah, hyper niche. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be the, the kind of thing that only one in a million people are interested in. Yeah. But given the size of the, the five market... billion people, that's right, yeah. You know, that, yeah. that actually means that you'll find thousands of like-minded mm-hmm. people who are in exactly the same kind of... That's the opportunity. Now, all the big stuff's been done, but there's a lot of niche opportunities that are out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, look, just to, back to the question, right? Right. There, there That's is, what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, there, you, I, it's a good point because although yeah. we can sort of laugh at it as, mm-hmm. as what are we called in, you know, we're sipping, latte sipping, whatever is, you know, you might, you might, <laughs> you might think, oh, but, but there's, there's plenty of people that that would resonate with. So yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't dismiss it just because it doesn't, I don't like the man and what he stands mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is probably enough of a market there. I, I, even having said that, I would be still very loath if it, if, if it was uh, investable at this point in time, purely because it is I, – I, I do wonder if, if people who want to be, discuss a particular topic aren't finding enough traction and community on some of the more mainstream platforms. Yeah. I mean, Facebook yeah. is full of this kind of stuff <laughs> if you really want to yeah. go, go in that direction. So it's, it's, it's one – idea. yeah, uh, there, there's sort of – personal reasons why I wouldn't but also just economically I yes I get your your point in terms of it being more niche but I don't know if it's it's serving an unmet need that 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 are out there and there are other social platforms that very much sort of focus on on what you might call fringe far right kind of yeah. <laughs> ideologies anyway so I think it was, it was all about as as so often is the case with Trump it's all it's all about his his ego more than than any sound business sort of strategy that's there mm. um, so yeah it's a hard pass it's a hard pass Ajit. I'm, I'm with you you <laughs> can do so laugh slash cry it's something like that nice hey message from Troy which is not so much a a question but a comment I'll throw it in anyway Troy says hi Scott I'm a long time listen uh, long time listener First-time messenger to Motley Fool Money Australia. Firstly, Ram was stuck on Malcolm Gladwell with his 10,000 hours comment. This came through from last week. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Secondly, coming from someone who has an MBA and has been in the accounting and finance industry for 12 years, working for larger corporates most of that time, it is good to see an informative group of people assisting others to think beyond the short term to the long term. Thank you, mate. He says, I'm primarily a small cap investor. However, I have dabbled in a few larger caps which meet my criteria for investments. I like this. I haven't heard this specific analogy, but I like it. Companies are like sharks, says Troy. They either move forward or they start dying. Ooh, I've been like involved that. with it. Good, isn't it? With a number of large companies and can say stagnation doesn't depend on size or age. It depends on management. I've worked for two companies. This is over 100 years old, but only one of them was thinking beyond last month, let alone 10 years into the future. Your podcast actually convinced me to leverage your newsletters to use as a resource to help discover what great companies to invest in. So I'm, uh, so I'm not sure whether it's, I like your podcast because it's purely informative or whether it's just confirmation bias on my end. <laughs> Even your political talk tends to align with my beliefs, being a dyed-in-the-wool centrist and a pure swing voter. Sorry this is so long. However, I cannot give you feedback on iTunes as I have a bad history with iPhones. However, I will try and steal my wife's phone at some point to give you guys five stars. We are not in favour of theft. We are in favour of borrowing for a minute, using it a little bit and then giving it back. So just not, not theft. <laughs> Thanks for your continued informative podcast, and that's from Troy. So, Troy, thank you, mate. Thank you for uh, giving us the Malcolm Gladwell line. I love that shark. The, the shark line was one that really got me. Companies like yes. sharks, they either go forward or they start dying. I think it's a really, really great way to think about it. It's a nice way to kind of epitomise and capture that, that whole idea, right? A lot of good stuff from Malcolm Gladwell as well. 
mm. Google him, YouTube him. A, a, a very, very uh, insightful man. I really like his stuff. He certainly is. Certainly is. Let's go to Craig. Hi, Scott and Strawman, says Craig. I am one of the silly people, Andy, who has a margin loan. I've always kept a low loan to valuation ratio. I thought this kept my risk manageable, but I did have some serious heart palpitations during the GFC and during the pandemic sell-down. I, sell-down's a nice, sell-down is, is a phrase used for someone who lost some money, right? Other people call it a crash. And it's just a sell-down. It's fine. I have been watching the commentary on China and Taiwan lately, and maybe I'm a pessimist, but it doesn't look good. For all of us silly people with a margin loan, God help us all if China was to make an attempt to invade Taiwan. He said, here's his question, <laughs> just an easy one. Would the world stock market drop by more or less than 50%? Love the podcast, full on, and that's from Craig. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about in that message from Craig. Let's just start with the question outright, mate. China, you, you know, we log on to our favourite news media of choice, whatever that might be, and you see the headline, the strap across the bottom of the TV screen, the, the banner at the top of the website, China invades Taiwan. What happens to the stock market? It goes down, almost <laughs> certainly. I think it's- that's fair. Yeah, I mean, does it go? I, I well, it, you know, I'd be a far richer person if I if I could guess that kind of stuff. But it's it definitely bad, mm-hmm. really bad. I mean, it it it, it ferments a, a huge degree of uncertainty, mm. not just in what's happening there, but how that potentially escalates. Uh, does it mm. serve as a flashpoint to something far bigger and more significant? Potentially, it does, and. Um, you know, the, 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 the ramifications are, are significant. So, yeah, I, I would imagine shares drop very, very significantly. Come on, off the fence. More or less than 50%. Um, I'll say less, but, you know, it could still drop 40 30%. still going to be pretty <laughs> scary. Half. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, the COVID crash was 34% or something. That was pretty scary. percent in 38. a month and four days. There you go. That is a hell. Fastest crash in history, fastest recovery in history. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's. I, I agree. I think it's yeah. something to worry about. The, the, this is uh, the premier of China has made no no secrets of, yeah. of his intentions. Um, categorise seems- okay. Say again. I was just categorise worrying for me. Is that something to worry about? Worry, keep you up at night. Worry, sell your stocks. Worry, do something differently with the way you invest. Worry about how your personal financial circumstances are set up. Worry about the kids. What, what, what worry does it give you? It gives me a worry as a global citizen and someone who doesn't like to see war and all the death and destruction that eventuates from that. But from an investor, I mean, this is, this is always the unsatisfying answer, but mm. sadly the truth is is that I don't do anything differently as, right. as an investor because, one, I can't predict if, if that will happen and mm-hmm. what, what it will be like, but I, I can also at the same time say of the the kinds of companies that I'm tending to be investing in and the timeframes that I am, I, I would like to think that um, although mm. things will get pretty scary, that those companies will endure and, and ultimately prosper longer term. So it kind of you kind of land back to to where to where you started, um, which, which as I as I acknowledge is a very unsatisfying answer. It's far <laughs> cleverer to sort of say, well, what you do is you set up some advanced hedging strategy <laughs> and you do this and rah, 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 and you make a fortune, you avoid all the downside and you, yeah. you know, make a fortune on the other side as well. It, it, it just, yeah. it just, if I could do it, I would. If I thought it was possible, I would I'd at least try, but I don't think it is, so I don't. You wouldn't have a margin line, would you? I do. I've got a margin line. Would you have a, would you carry a balance? If So, look, for me, there's, there's, <laughs> 
I, I, it's not something I generally advocate and I, I generally run my margin line with next to zero balance. I kind of use it like my credit card. I've got a couple of credit cards, but I've, I don't think I've, I've ever paid much in interest, if anything, mm-hmm. and only because I've been um, forgetful to, <laughs> to pay out when I was. But it's really handy because it just means that I, if I want to buy something, I don't have to necessarily sell other things or move things around. I just, I just got a line of credit that I can use and then I can sort of move things around at, at a time that's more convenient to me. So I find them really, really um, uh, advantageous from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I, I think I think the absolute right thing to do is because often with with well with margin loans you have a maximum LVR loan to value yes. ratio on each particular stock. So often they'll lend you up to seventy percent, so you can buy a hundred grand worth of stock with thirty grand. But you don't have to, you know. It's like a house. You could you could borrow twenty grand uh, to, to borrow a hundred grand worth of stock, and therefore have a much lower loan to value ratio. Which means the shares do the mass have to fall substantially before you're in in, in uh, a situation where you're a forced seller. So I think there is a actually. Can I can I I just want to pick on that because it's a really important point. You mentioned having thirty grand, borrowing seventy, having a hundred grand portfolio. And that's mm. a that's so a hundred grand portfolio. You borrow seventy percent, which is seventy grand. That's right on the on the edge of your loan to valuation. At the second the shares drop, mm. the bank comes at you for either some more money or to sell those shares. So you're not yeah. waiting. It's not like you're going to have to only put your hand in your pocket if they fall fifty percent in that circumstance, or thirty percent, or twenty percent. As soon as as soon as you start to breach that LVR maximum. Mm. That it's not like when you, you know, in a house you borrow a certain level and then the bank really never going to call you the house. I mean, they, they literally could call the mortgage in, by the way. They never mm. will, they never do. It's not going to happen. So, you know, if your house was dropped 10% after you took out a loan, as long as they'd already settled the loan, they're giving you the money, they're not going to come at you for, for the cash. On the share market, that LVR is a moving target the entire time. And if mm. shares fall and you breach that, they will come to you literally same day, next day, give us the cash or we'll sell you shares. I used to work in margin lending. <clears throat> One of my first jobs was to make the phone calls. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it was not a fun job. Bloody hell. Hi, Mr. So-and-so. It was always a mister. Um, mm. The fairer sex is more sensible mm-hmm. more often. Um, and you say, yeah, we're going to sell all your shares. And yeah. they, they would, it was not a phone call people like to receive and they would, they would let you know it. But, but, but that's how it worked. And, and it sounds really brutally harsh, but in almost, mm. in fact, every situation I can remember, it was usually a couple of characteristics of, of, of the client you were calling. One, they had leveraged themselves up to the hilt. Yeah, yeah. And two, they didn't have any cash on the sidelines to meet any unexpected margin calls. So they had literally no choice. Yeah, yeah. And so you kind of, you know, it's just like, it was never a pleasant phone call, but at the same time it was like, oh, dude, what are you mm-hmm. doing? Like you have structured yourself yeah. in a very fragile way. The slightest perturbation is is, is mm. going to potentially wipe you out. It's kind of like you know you you you, you you've got no one to blame mm. but yourself, unfortunately. Um, so it sounds pretty brutal, mm. but 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 that 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 is so. It's it's it, it's again. It's like with a credit card. I mean, I think every listener here would probably have a credit card. Doesn't mean that everyone is is carrying this mountain of credit card debt and this huge debt yeah. spiral and is being really silly. It's because. Yeah. Most of us use them very, very sensibly because they're very convenient. Yeah. And and there's an argument. So again, subtlety and nuance, as I like to say, hey, context, all of that kind of stuff matters. <laughs> I'm not advocating people go out and get a margin loan. In fact, yeah. for most people, I think it's a really, really bad uh, idea. Um, but yeah, that, that, there's, you've got to be careful with general generalizations and black and white kind of statements. But, but Never, yeah. ever, ever generalize. Never, ever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, mate. I, uh, I'm a what do you think? Bit- Are you worried about China and Taiwan? Like no. it seems. Oh, uh, you know. No? So, 
Look, so here's the problem. If I'm Craig, yeah, I'm woke. It's got a margin loan. Like, you know, that's the, I, I've used the example for, I will say it a million more times if you keep listening to this podcast. So get ready until the point which you can actually repeat it with me as I say it. But let's go with it. Um, leverage is the only way a smart guy can go broke. And that's from mm. Warren Buffett. If the market falls 30%, you've got 100 bucks worth of shares. If it falls 50%, you've got 100 bucks worth of shares. You've got 50 bucks left over. And that sucks. Mm. But when the market recovers, you'll have 70 and then 80 and then 110, 150, $200 worth of shares, as long as you're sensibly diversified, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I can't promise you the market's going to recover. I need to say that because ASIC will otherwise call me and say, excuse me. Um, but I think it's pretty, very, 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 very likely it will. It always has. So that's my, that's my take. If you have 100 bucks worth of shares and you've borrowed half the money for that and the market drops by 50%, guess what? Your equity has gone to zero, and that's if you don't have a margin call. If you do have a margin call, you may be completely wiped out in that circumstance. Mm. The, the broker says, thanks, I'll have your shares, please, and I'll pay off the loan. And at that mm. point, you're like, that's my entire wealth building for the last months, weeks, years, decades gone because I got too greedy and I put myself in a position where I relied, again, another Warren Buffettism, I relied on the kindness of strangers. And they're not going to be kind to you because they don't want to. They want the money back, please. They, they, they might even, as Andrew would have, I'm sure, felt a little bit sorry for the people he was talking to, but the boss didn't give him any discretion to say, ask him if he wouldn't mind paying it back. It seems like an ice buy, just let him off the hook. So no, 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 we're, we're, we're pressing the button. Your portfolio is substantially or entirely gone to meet the debt. So am I worried about China? No, I'm not at all. Um, you know, again, I'll, I'll mention Warren Buffett for a third time in, in a minute and a half. Um, you know, he, he started investing in 1941 or something, mm. I think. Must have been 11, yeah, 41 or a bit. He invested through a world war and a Korean war and a Vietnam war and two Iraq wars and stagflation, we talked about it on Friday, and oil shocks and everything else that happens, right? Everything else that happens. Mm. And, and there were big, big, big drops and sometimes for long periods of time. Am I worried about that? No, it's not going to be fun, uh, you know, and we'll be on this podcast saying to people, chill out, we know, we get it, stay with the course, don't freak out, it'll be fine, just do your thing. Mm. So I absolutely do all that. But if you are... If you, are, if you don't have the choice of letting time do its thing, of, of waiting for things to recover, because the, the broker says, yeah, thanks, you're out. Man, like that's, you know, that's not a position you want to be in. So am I worried? Mm. No, if the, the market will fall. On, I, I, I didn't predict COVID, but there'll be another 40% fall at some point now you're investing lives around, probably two or three, I'd imagine. Multiple times. Now. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, you know, will it suck? Yeah. Am I worried about it? No, because it's going to happen. Like, I'm expecting it. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's really, really important that I'm not going to be in a position where I am risking my very solvency of my portfolio and hoping I can get I can just scrape through. That that's why I would be worried if I was Craig, yes. Uh, not because I expect I don't think Taiwan's gonna mm. I don't think China's gonna invade Taiwan, quite honestly. If I was a betting man, I'd say they don't think are going to, but it might be COVID, right? If we if you'd have said that, if you'd have asked us two years ago, are you worried that China's gonna invade Taiwan? I would have said no. But there might be something else. Something else happened to be COVID. No one was worried about that and yet that still sent the market down forty percent. So it's a big deal. Uh, so the I answer, the, an, the the answer is, I hear what you're saying, and I think the answer is, Craig, if if you are worried, just take take the opportunity to to pay down some of that debt, yeah, um, great, and and that advice. that that will, you know, you don't have to take it to zero, but mm-hmm. you can reduce, mm-hmm. it. and the further you reduce it, the further that fall has to be before you're yeah, in that scenario. So mm-hmm. that's, <clears throat> and and that will be absolutely the wrong thing to do if the market continues to fly upwards because you'll you'll regret that mm-hmm. decision, mm-hmm. but at least you'll probably sleep a lot lot uh, sounder at night. Yeah, that makes sense. Perfect sense. All right, mate. Let's um, let's let's move on. I I, I think yeah, I think I think it's a, I think it's a good summary. Um, Patrick, hi Scott and Andrew. Still loving the podcast. Thank you, mate. 
Even though I keep making some silly mistakes with investing, we all do, your principles help realign my thinking to long-term investing and analysing businesses thoroughly. Excellent. I have a question, he says, about Sequoia. Typically, I steer away from managed funds, for good reason in brackets, but like Berkshire and Solpats, which you like, Sequoia has a wonderful long-term track record and very sound investing philosophy, at least based on my layman's analysis, says Patrick. Appreciate your thoughts on this very large, established and well-known company. Thanks, Patrick. Now, Patrick spoils a really great question with seven words, that eight words you really should take back. He says, P.S., I love Andrew's rants because he is right. Now, I didn't know you had an Uncle Patrick, Andrew. I didn't know that. Um, I, thank you, Uncle Patrick, for writing in. I didn't realise you had an Uncle Patrick, but uh, he, some, for some reason, seems to think you are right. I don't know why. I don't know what's got into him, uh, but obviously there's, uh, there's something going on there, and, yeah, it is. It is that's the thing. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> I, you know, he's right, of course. So. <laughs> Go on. What do you know about Sequoia, mate? Uh, yeah, very big. What have been around 50 odd years or so. Very long and uh, attractive uh, track record. Um, very early investors in Apple, Google, Instagram, Zoom, uh, PayPal. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're very, very, very smart investors. So, yeah, I, I tend to be the same. I think generally it's not something I, I, an area I like, but with a long track record, a philosophy that I like. I, it's, it's again, it's one of these things that it's hard to be critical of. You know, it might not. I don't invest in it. I prefer to do it directly. It, personally, it's what I prefer. Mm. Um, but if someone was to sort of, sort of say, "Hey, listen, I'm trying to build my long term wealth, and a component of that is through Sequoia," the last person who's going to criticize, <laughs> I, you know, yeah, it's, right. it's it, it, again, perfect is often the enemy of good when it comes to investing. And yeah. the question isn't whether you you were the, the the person who got the best possible investment returns over a period of time but if you've done if you've done even if you I even tend to think even if you underperform the market let's say someone goes about a particular strategy and over the next 30 years averages mm-hmm. 8% and they probably could have got 10% per year just by doing something more simple and straightforward in each year yeah okay it kind of sucks and yes we know 2% per annum over a long period of time really really adds up but you know you've you've still compounded your wealth <laughs> at 8% it's it's not it's not bad so it, i just think Getting getting it generally right in investing is is still going to lead to very favourable outcomes. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm I'm not going to be too critical. What, what about what about you? What do you think? Yeah. So look, first thing I want to say is I want to separate the two businesses. So we assume Patrick's talking about Sequoia Capital, the US venture capital mob. There is a company in Australia called Sequoia Financial Group Limited. Oh, it is okay, not the so. same business. I'm I'm reasonably sure Patrick's not talking about the Australian business. Um, mentions Berkshire and Sol Pats. Sequoia's uh, financial planning. Um, uh, kind of financial management kind of business. So we're going to assume you're not talking about that one, but what I wanted to mention is it's really, really important that we mention the name Sequoia. People don't jump on a comp and go, oh, cool, they like Sequoia, I'll buy shares in Sequoia Financial Group, which, by the way, might be a great idea, but we're not talking about that business, so just just keep that in mind. Um, I, I am going to be a little bit less sanguine than you, not, not a heap, Ram. Um, mm. The problem I have with these sort of businesses, or it comes into your diversified answer actually really I think we probably agreed on that the challenge with Sequoia is Sequoia is not Berkshire and it's not Solpats right Sequoia is a venture capital firm that has invested in apparently a thousand different um, startups since 1972 or whatever it is Mm. so it's not 
I saw Pat's buy large chunks, value management, uh, you know, manage for cash, uh, you know, reinvest the capital, build build wealth. It's not Berkshire, which is buy wholly owned businesses, use, you know, use insurance float to fund it. Sequoia is a, effectively a fund manager, a, a VC fund, a venture capital fund, funding startups. And by the way, it's been spectacularly successful because of the stuff we talked about on Friday, actually, mate, <laughs> the internet writ large. Mm. Um, uh, I don't know how much of the of the list you ran through, but I wasn't I wasn't paying attention. But the, it just this is Wikipedia, right? Apple, Google, Oracle, Nvidia, GitHub, PayPal, LinkedIn, Stripe, YouTube, wow. Instagram, Yahoo, Cisco, Klarna, WhatsApp, and Zoom, among mm. others. Mm. And I think that's the you know. So well, the first thing I will say is when you do a thousand of them, you're going to have a smattering of the ones we know now. So it's a bit like your 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 mention the other day about you know opening up how many tw- 20 Twitter accounts and waiting for something to win, right? If you buy all yeah. the startups, you say, if, if I'd bought every company on the ASX four years ago, I'd say, well, no, I had shares in Afterpay and Zip and Fortescue and look how smart I am. Uh, and, you know, that, again, speaking of your, you know, underhanded Twitter strategy, that's what probably <laughs> what we should do. We probably, I, the Motley Fool should probably have this service where we recommend every small company there is and then our marketing, we can say, we recommended these companies when they were small. It's like, well, you recommended everything. So, and mm-hmm. I'm, by the way, I'm not saying at all that um, Sequoia is doing anything un- inappropriate at all. It'd be really, really clear there. What I am saying is just, you know, there are a thousand of them in 50 years. I've just listed 10. So it's, you know, 1% of their investments uh, that have done really well. And so, you know, you'd expect, you'd expect there to be a large number of companies you know because by definition, that's what they do. Yes, um, but I'll add something to that. So you're Please. right to say that what matters is is the average. Yes. What matters is the overall. But what's interesting about the approach that a lot of these guys take and venture capitalists tend to take is they actually they actually go in fully expecting a very low strike rate. Yes. That they're that, that numerically the, the majority of the investments they make are not going to work out well. Mm-hmm. But mathematically, they can only go <laughs> only <laughs> say it so, so it rolls off the tongue so easily, doesn't it? They can only go to zero, mm-hmm. um, which which would be very bad, of course, and many of them do. But the ones that that do well can do more than double. In fact, like the, the, the companies that you mentioned, then they're up many, 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 many fold. So you get to a situation where you only get five, ten percent of them right, but boy, do they go right! And boy, that doesn't mean that you get a squillion percent return overall. All the others sort of drag it down, but it still it still ends up. You still end up in a very, very attractive place. So I think I think if you're going in with that expectation, that mindset, it's actually not a, not not a terrible approach, and it's not. I don't take that exact approach with small cap investing, but I I look at my portfolio today and, I, you know, you could say to me, oh, you know, some of these are going to go really bad. I mean, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't, don't, no, you know, it's not as if you could go, aha, I knew that, you know, these are all, like, I'm, I'm not that silly to think that 100% of them are going to work out. <laughs> yeah, right. God, I'd be happy if four of them worked out out of right, every, right, every right. 10. But, yeah, but yeah. the potential for them yeah. to work out could really work out. Um, that's 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 okay with me, and 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 I think there's it's just a point worth making. No, you both right. And I wasn't I wasn't trying to denigrate Sequoia at all. They've done a spectacular job over time. I just, it was more just making the point that when you list a, when you have a list like that, oh, they must be good then. So like, well, yeah. statistically, probably you'd expect they would. So um, the reason I the reason I was half stepping back from agreeing as strongly as you with or uh, agreeing strongly with you on Sequoia is they I don't. It's hard for me to, to work out what the future looks like relative to the past in terms of VCs, right? Mm. The VC industry, as industry in air quotes, didn't really exist pre-1970, right? But to the extent it did, there weren't these kind of, you know, groundbreaking tech companies that were creating massive amounts of value overnight really quickly. Mm. And so they rode a wave that, frankly, if Sequoia was founded in 1910, it wouldn't be a VC firm. 
mm. and the numbers wouldn't necessarily be as good. Now, the point I'm making or the point I'm trying to draw is the next 50 years may be exactly the same as this or they might be really different. There might be mm. more companies available or fewer. They might be more richly valued or less. I think a large part of what's been successful over the last... Uh, so pre, say pre-2010, I'm going to say, mate, um, that 10 years between dot-com crash and 2010, there kind of wasn't a lot of stuff that was listed at high multiples. It was listed at low multiples or, 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 or the private backers sold it at low prices because there wasn't much of a market for this stuff. Mm. Um, I, guess I'm just, I guess I'm just wondering whether VC firms will have the opportunity to buy things as cheaply and sell them as expensively as they have in the past. Mm. So this is why, I'm, because it's a really specific strategy, and again, it's not about Sequoia, it could be about anyone else in the VC space. I'm just not entirely sure what the future's going to look like. So do I think investing money in a VC tech fund is going to do well in the future? I don't know. I really don't know. Mm. I do think there's going to be a lot of tech companies created. I think there's a lot of tech value created. I'm not sure who's going to pick up the value, whether it's the owners, the VC firms, or the public markets, or all three. I just don't know. I really have no idea. And it's why I'd be a little bit less, uh, I'd be a little bit more hesitant, put it this way, to go down the Sequoia route with as much confidence as someone like Solpats or Berkshire, just because those other businesses are more reliably um, extrapolated, I think. I think you'd expect mm. Solpats does what it does for the next 50 years. Berkshire, even after Buffett's gone, does the same thing it's done for the next 50 years. Sequoia probably does the same things, but is it a successful, is the opportunity there? I just don't know. I really, really don't know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a but to your point, if it's five percent of a portfolio in US tech startups, yeah, maybe I think that makes maybe that makes some sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. The future doesn't guarantee that. I mean, the past doesn't guarantee the future. But there is something to be said for for track records, very yeah. very long term. You know, like a, a lot of dumb things can look smart in the short and even medium term. Yeah. But but when you have sort of multi decade experience, I mean, it, again, no guarantee. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Berkshire could be a terrible investment from here, for yeah. all I know. But it, it's not guaranteed. But it, it it is it is noteworthy, and it is yeah. a factor that that you know it's it's like if if you're going to uh, bet on the Melbourne Cup. Just coming up, right? Like if there's a if there's a horse in there that's just won every single one of its races versus one that has always come last. Yeah. Does that mean that the one that's come last? No, it doesn't. But I mean, you, you statistically, mm, mm, mm. There, there is form that that is that is there, and that is that is something to pay attention yeah. to, particularly when you've gone through various different cycles and waves of innovation and disruption. It, it, it yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's very. I'm not going to be critical of them. Mm. <laughs> they 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 they've they've got form. Yeah. I think that's I, yeah. That's why I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against it. I just wouldn't necessarily rush into it. The same way you could. I, I think when we talk about Solpats and, and Berkshire, there's, there's an expectation of permanence that I don't know applies to other businesses that are less broad or general in their approach. Mm. Is that fair? I think they're the really yeah. well known ones, but there's there's a lot of there, there's a lot of particularly in the boutique space. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of people out there with with decades of experience that have just really um, they're not they don't they don't have the, the perhaps they don't have the same marketing departments or they're just not in the zeitgeist <laughs> as much but they are the exception absolutely they they are the exception but but they're there and it's it's worth paying attention to motley fool money for more subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener here's one from a, a twitter account called giddy up gaza which i like and he just says, hey, mate, where can I get a copy of the S&P 500 Vanguard 30-year chart with the major global events marked on it? I've tried Googling, he says, but no joy. Thanks for your help. Love the show and the services. Thank you. And that's from Giddy Up Gaza. Um, Gaza, this one, you search just Google Vanguard index chart. Now, 
I could have replied directly to Gazza because it was a pretty straight up question, but I wanted to give Vanguard a plug again because I like to do that. Um, you will be a better investor for digesting the index chart, I promise you. I, I can promise you very little else. I'm not allowed to promise you most things and I wouldn't promise you most things. If you can properly really get your head around that Vanguard chart, it will change your investing life for the better. So um, I'm answering Gaz's question live on the podcast. Uh, go to Google, type in Vanguard index chart and follow the links to it. There's an interactive version. Just download the PDF version because it's a one page. You can print it out. Um, so I'm doing, doing it right now. It. Good man. It's just there, isn't it? Just going to test you out there. Go. There you, you go. go. Right me. Yeah, right. First non-sponsored link. Yep. There you go. So there you go. Go to the first non-sponsored link, probably the Vanguard Index chart. Now, just so you know, mate, it's 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 actually an Australian-produced thing. So it's it, maybe because you've searched for S&P 500 Vanguard 30-year chart, it might have thrown you out. Just literally search the term Vanguard Index chart. You'll get one from the Australian business. Um, they do have US shares marked on it, so you actually you actually do get the S&P 500. I think that's the S&P they track. I'm sure it is. Um, anyways, you you get it all on the Australian shares, US international shares, US shares, bonds, cash, property, and then all the major events. Uh, US presidents, Australian uh, prime ministers, recessions, wars, all sorts of cool stuff on that chart. Um, I think they even do inflation interest rates from memory. Like it's all there. It's a really, really, really cool chart. So Vanguard index chart will give you exactly what you want. Just as I said, follow the link to the PDF. Um, you can play with the the um, interactive one if you want, just for the fun of it. But I just print out the, the main one, stick it on your wall beside your computer um, and meditate on that for a while. You'll be a much better investor. I'm absolutely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great question from Nick, mate. One I think you'll you'll really uh, you'll really associate with. G'day, Scott. Okay. A question for the potty. He says, "Is that what the cool kids call it?" I would not know, Nick. I've never been one of the cool kids. I'm not about to start now. Well, let's assume they do. A question for the potty. <laughs> you, you say that you say that like it's your choice to be cool <laughs> or not. <laughs> that's right. I could be cool if I wanted to. I just choose not to because yeah, I'm one of, yeah. right. I'm better well, than thanks. that. And also, I've got no chance. Yeah, it's a, the old. Um, <laughs> Joe Groucho Marx not want to be a member of any club that would let him in I'm exactly. the reverse right I want to be a member of the club they won't let me in um, a question for the potty if you'd be so kind from Nick without fail my best performing stocks are the ones you almost never hear about hey me they're, too there you go they're rarely in the news I never hear anyone talking about them in fact most people have never heard of the businesses and there's no forums full of garbage posts about them I, that's probably a, a site you're talking about we won't mention it Nick on the flip side <laughs> A couple of my couple of underperformers are in the media almost daily, and the forums are full of all sorts of nonsensical posts from lunatics. Again, no names, no pactrial. I guess my question is: Is there a genuine investing lesson to take from this? Are the most talked about stocks generally the ones to avoid? Would love to know if there's any stats that back this up. Cheers, Nick. I'll give you first go this one, mate. I don't know if there are any stats. No, I'm pretty sure they're not. It's, it's, it's way too subjective, right? What's, what's coverage? What's talk? What's you know chat? It's, but anecdotally, I I think yeah, it resonates with with me. In fact, it's so it's sort of half true. So I think the best performing stocks to buy are the ones that no one's talking about. Mm. But they're really great to hold once everyone starts to figure them out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sort of like yeah, you, you yeah, hold yeah, this that. obscure, what was it? You, you hold this obscure little payments company called TouchCorp. <laughs> what the hell are they? You know? That's right, that's right. Oh, it turns out that that's the seed of Afterpay and, <laughs> and then and then everyone's talking about it. So yeah, the great exactly. the great thing the great thing about stocks that aren't <laughs> followed is mm. is that they don't they don't have the hype around them. So the business is the business is the business. Yeah. 
but 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 you just don't you don't mm. have very high multiples, so they tend to be pretty cheap just because they're un, unfollowed. Mm. Um, there's not a lot of sort of hot money sort of in it, yeah. and therefore you, you get an opportunity to buy. Now the hard part is. Mm. is it can take a long time before the market comes around to your way of thinking. Or it could just be that your thinking is completely wrong. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, Goes both and, and, and that can take a long time. Yeah. I mean, some of the best, best ones I've had, I had years before they, like, the market really sort of started to, to pay attention and yeah, right. the, the thesis started to sort of play out. Mm. And then I made some mistakes of selling too early because so I, I would look at it and go, wow, I liked it at, at five cents. Now it's twenty five cents. It seems a bit silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes to ninety cents in the case of Pointera, and you think, oh. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, um, you, you I've often said this: you can really overthink valuation for very, very fast growing, high mm-hmm. quality kind mm-hmm. of stocks. But yeah, I, I think I think that is very rich pickings in in that. And, and what what eventually happens if you play this out long enough is that you get a lot of big money forced into buying it because as they get larger, they start getting included in some of the indices, which means a lot of the index tracking funds are forced to buy them. Yeah. And they also come into the mandates, a lot of fund managers who mandates may say, we're only allowed to invest in the top 300 companies. So this company that they might like and know, but just can't invest in because it's outside of their mandate, also, all, all of a sudden becomes fair play. And so you start getting that kind of effect as well. That's, that's a, that, is a, that is a thing of beauty. Um, so yeah, I... Go, 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 go where, you know, what do they say? Go to where the fish are, <laughs> go where no one else is fishing. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll do better than, you know, where there's a thousand other people with their, with their lines in the drink. You, 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 you've got, I think you've got good opportunity mm. there. Just, just understand that you can look dumb for a long time and it can be a very, <laughs> it, it can look and it can, it, it, it yeah. and it can be a very scary ride because yeah. things can move around a lot. But I, I love the small cap space. I, I, I think it's good. I'm also very mindful of, mm. This idea that you know, if you don't know who the patsy is at the poker table, it's probably yeah. you. Yes. And you know, when I'm when I'm when you're when you're playing at the very yeah. big end of town, you are competing against a lot of well-resourced, very smart investment houses. When you're going against, when you're buying mm. into a fifty million dollar company that no one uh, sort of looks at, mm. you're probably largely up against sort of uh, a, a large swathe of, of retail investors. Uh, a reasonably large percentage of which probably not <laughs> sensible long-term investors. Yeah. So you've got, I feel as though you've got a better chance of having an edge if, if you can know a little bit more than everyone else. Mm. Um, uh, people who might be just getting their information from some free forums and Reddit threads and stuff, you, you, you've got an edge. So yeah, go for it, Nick. I, 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 I agree with you. I'm going to play devil's advocate, mate, just for the fun of it. Um, because the best performing stock over the past five years is a little company no one's heard of called Afterbay, and no one's been talking about that one. Um, <laughs> the best stock over the last 10 or so years is a little company called Fortescue no one else has heard of either. Uh, there's a little little e-commerce mob called Amazon.com that I own shares in in the US that has been on the front page of every business publication ever most months uh, for 25 years. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely cherry picking, right? Just for the fun of being devil's advocate. Well, this is the this is the beautiful thing of this of the, not beautiful. Yep. Well, it depends on your perspective. <laughs> the great the great thing for punditry in in the share market yeah, is right. whatever crazy approach or theory or you know theme Correct. that you want to sort of talk about. There there is examples, right? But yep. um, th- that that statistical validity is is probably the the important thing. So you know mm-hmm. we we often sort of say I would never invest in a in a mining exploration exploration junior yeah, company, it's yeah. burning cash flow on that. But but that doesn't mean you can't do insanely yeah. well out there. There, there are Fortescue that's was right, that. That's right. That was exactly, Fortescue. Exactly right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Caught up with someone on the weekend who said actually one of the largest shareholders was a, a plumber who bought way back in the early days. 
and <laughs> and just awesome. never sold. I love that. Never sold. It made squillions, you know. That. So so yeah, yeah. So look, the reason, I hear your point. Yeah, the point I wanted to make. I just I guess. Uh, my, my point was actually one of those psychological biases. Is it availability bias? Confirmation bias? Probably both together. Something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, basically that's that's my only... Just... just Nick, because that's your experience, uh, you're going to assume that's true for everybody. That's absolutely true. The person whose portfolio is full of Afterpay, Fortescue and Amazon is going to say, you know what? I find like the ones I make money on are the ones that everyone's talking about. And yet the couple I've lost money on are ones that no one's ever heard of. Maybe I should be, you know, are there sets to back that up? And again, I'm not, not, not bagging you, Nick, you know that. But um, it's, it's just to some degree where our own experience is what we end up gravitating towards, right? You're noticing that about your portfolio and that's how it's gone for you. Now, I, 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 there are absolutely, as I've already said and, and Ram's already highlighted, counterpoints to exactly the opposite of mine, which are everyone's talking about the big four banks and... Um, you know, uh, Coles and Woolies and whatever else. And no one's talking about and name whatever company is the next big thing, right? Um, some lithium miner that's massive in a couple of years' time or some, you know, little little tech company that's just, you know, the next afterpay or something is all of a sudden about to be talked about but no one is yet. And so those things are both true at the same time. The market is big enough. I guess my broader point is I would, I would speculate, I would speculate that the odds that you're right are pretty good, Nick, but almost because of the law of large numbers, and it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be, you couldn't take an statistical approach to picking them. If you think about the, you know, Woolies can't go up tenfold the next five years, just literally can't, right? Because it's already enormous. Short of becoming a Bitcoin mining operation, which maybe it will, I don't know. Um, it can't. Yet there is going to be some company, the next afterpay is out there. We don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. No one knows what it is. They'll all pretend in hindsight it was clear, but no one knows what it is. It's going to be a small company to start with. And there will be a few of those, a handful, maybe 10, maybe 20. That do really, really, really well, and they're small right now. So the odds, so it's one of those, um, you can do it forwards, not backwards, right? A square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. Have a think about mm. that if you're not sure. A square mm. is a rectangle, a rectangle is not a square. So every square is a rectangle. Mm. Not every rectangle is a square. The companies that go up tenfold in the next five years are almost certainly going to be small companies. But not every small company is going to go up tenfold or fivefold. Mm, yeah. So that's probably my, my, my you know, it's, so, so, you know, do you, should you look in, in new places for the next big winners? Yeah, if you have the stomach for it, if like Andrew, you're happy to lose, maybe even lose big a few times because you want to win even bigger a few times, that can be a really great strategy as long as you're good at picking those stocks and that's important because don't do it, as I said, if you try and do it, you know, <laughs> just by random chance, the chance you pick a good one is really small. If you picked any, what, mate, 10, if you picked 50, out of the bottom thousand ASX companies, I still reckon you'd lose money, wouldn't you? Is that, is that a fair guess? If you, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and not not, not just not make beat the market, not not make a lot of money. You'd probably actually lose money. Mm. Uh, but as I said, all the big winners over the next five years are going to be from that same universe of stocks. So it's tough. I don't know if that's helpful or not, Nick. I I would just I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into it, and I wouldn't try and invest by saying, you know, I should buy small companies because small companies tend to do better even though that's true because it's harder to find. You want to find the right small company. If you find those, that's definitely worth doing. Just recognise that the next step in that process of, hey, maybe I should look small, tick, yes, absolutely. Getting to that point of like picking the right small companies, that's a very, very big jump from that observation. Is that fair, mate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nick's question was really, is there a lesson to be taken from it? And it's, mm. there is. It's just taking the right lesson. And I think the, the, the right lesson <laughs> exactly. is is that there's yeah. actually some really great opportunities in that yeah. space. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the lesson. The, the lesson isn't it's guaranteed to do you well, which is the point you're making, and that, yeah. that, that is absolutely the wrong lesson. But, yeah, but yeah I, I think a lot of people ignore it at their peril. And there's a lot of 
especially uh, people who should know better, you know, we've been financial planners or whatever, would just mm-hmm. say as a general rule, don't invest outside of that as yeah. a full stop yeah. because yeah. it's too risky. And I think that's I agree that's that. that's totally. it's equally silly, you know, just a, a huge generalization that, yeah, it's a lot of rubbish down that end of the market. Most of it's rubbish, in fact. Yeah. But, but just a blanket statement, no, don't ever go there. No, no. So the lesson is, yeah, there's some rich pickings there and, and it is worth your time to have a look. And I don't know for sure, Matt, but I would speculate that more money was lost over the last six months in the fall in the BHP share price than in the bottom of 1,000 companies if they all went to zero. So, yeah. so in terms of risk, like in terms of total dollar risk for investors as a, as a general community, the, 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 the planners, as a, I don't mean all planners, so I, just, I want to be careful how I say this, but if you'd had a group of planners who all said, hey, buy BHP because it's not risky, don't buy those small things because they're risky, that there's a very, very good chance that those pl- that those planners, the hypothetical group of planners' clients, would have lost more dollars than if they'd all gone and bought some small caps and, and they'd gone to zero. So, you know, yes. it's one of those. You've got to be a little bit careful. Even percentages are misleading in terms of total dollar value and, and contribution to the market. Uh, and our BHP might come back, and it's, it's a silly example, but it's just worth, that's where Ram says, Ram says you know, small is risky. Yeah, sometimes, but in dollar terms, uh, it was more risky to hold BHP over the last six months for what it's worth. So mm. there is that. Yeah. Matt is reaching out, Ram, and I reckon as someone who is the founder, chief ideation officer, which gives me the title. <laughs> ideation the, officer, love the, it. Uh, the head of HR, the, the uh, innovation guru at strawman.com. Matt says, hi, Super Scott and amazing Andrew. Thank you, mate. Question for the podcast. How do I get a company that I'm part owner of to listen to my suggestion? I'm a mm. jumbo interactive shareholder. He says in brackets, an occasional user or loser of their Lotto, Oz Lotto site. Uh, tick and tick for me as uh, well. Yeah, yep. same. Same for me, actually. I have an awesome suggestion for the company that maybe can make them more money, but they didn't take my suggestion seriously when I emailed them through customer support. So my question is to you two is, how could I get my idea to the people in charge? Through their shareholder meetings, through Twitter? I'll, he, he shares his idea, mate. I'll, I'll start. Well, I, won't, I won't share the idea yet. We'll get the idea in a second. Hold, hold your horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll share them in a minute. How, how do you do that, mate? You've got a great idea. You're like, you know what? I own shares in this company. I think it's great. I think it'd be even better if they could just do this thing. Is, is it reasonable to expect you can have access to it? Is it reasonable to think they're going to listen at all? Is it just the frustrations of a, of a, of a small cog in a, in a big machine that you just can't quite get the ideas to the people in charge? Uh, it's it's going to be very difficult. And and I'm, I'm sure that... that even if you have like a fantastic idea that they probably get peppered with all kinds of other not so great ideas. And mm. it's, it's, it's just, it's not, pr- it's just from a practical level for a very big company with tens and tens of thousands of shareholders, mm. you know, they just, they just feasibly, it, it's not feasible, right? You, you, you mm. can't do it. Um, but yeah, I, I think going to, along to an AGM, particularly something like Jumbo, it's not likely to be thousands of people there is, is, is a really good idea. And you, mm. you can, you can email and you can try your luck and, but whether or not they do anything with it is, is is unfortunately um, uh, a bit out of your control, and 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 frankly, a good uh, leader should be saying no most of the time. Um, they, they there is a requirement, I I would say, to to be pretty focused. If Steve Jobs listened to every suggestion that came through, <laughs> Apple would be a very different. Yeah, even if that. a lot of them would, you know. So it's so it, it's really it's really tricky, and unfortunately, mm. even though and I say it all the time, I'm it's my business. I'm a part owner of this business. I do say that in recognition of the fact that I just really have zero influence. I'm, I'm here for the ride. And, yeah. and the only thing I can really do is vote with my, my wallet. And if, if they do things I don't like, it's just to leave, unfortunately. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, 
but but you can try, and I commend you for trying. Um, I, I think I think it it shows a real engagement as as a part owner of the business, mm. and um, you know, it, it, the, the, they they will take you more seriously the bigger the shareholder you are. <laughs> there um, is that. You yeah. know, if you're a fund manager, they'd be listening, wouldn't they? Oh, they would absolutely, absolutely. Well, at least they pretend and, to. Maybe, maybe they just. Oh, they really. We'll go and investigate that. I'll have, I'll get someone on it. It's like you know, never going to talk about it again. Oh, you just be an activist investor and, <laughs> and own a substantial. Get a director on the board, and you, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. but short of that, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, no. But but I I, I just love the idea. It just shows a real engagement, and um, yeah. you know, you're thinking about the business. You've got ideas, and it's great. And 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 like. A good, a good CEO, if they've got the time, and it depends on the, the size of the company and, and the rest of it, will at least they sort of acknowledge the idea and perhaps sort of yeah. say, well, yeah. yeah, I hear what you're saying, but no, this is why we're not going to do it. Mm. But but don't, don't expect it. It's, it's going to be pretty rare. I agree, unfortunately. I know, Matt, you've got a great – in fact, Matt, has, what do you think of Matt's idea? I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Also, if you want to comment on my idea, well, whether my idea is good or not, here it is. They should add the function to gift lotto tickets to someone like for a birthday or some other occasion. Yeah, I like it. I've, I've been given lotto tickets multiple times through my life, literally printed out. Like a, a, scr- a, a scratchy card. or... Yeah, oh, okay, or, yeah. or even a, like yeah. a, just an auto pick, you know, Monday, Wednesday lotto, just in a, in a, in a birthday card. Yeah. $10, $15, whatever they cost as a, as a bit of a... I reckon that's a great... If you, I mean, jump, you buy online, jump online, you grow a Bunnings gift voucher for Uncle Sam or you do a, you know, a Westfield gift voucher for, for Aunt Mary. Would, I mean, it just would make sense, right? To be able to jump on... Oslotto and buy a ticket and email it to, you know, Andrew Page or Scott Phillips. I'll give you my email address later. And, uh, and it just makes sense, right? Here's, here's I, wonder if there's a, I wonder if there's a legal thing there. I hmm. Probably not. Probably not. I'm just I'm thinking out loud. But, hmm. um, yeah. It's, it, and maybe it's one of those things that's sort of like, <clears throat> yeah, it's a great idea, but does it, does it move the <laughs> dial on our profitability? <laughs> so it's sort of like yeah. we, we, we could yeah. do it, we should do it perhaps, but does it, yeah. does it drive shareholder? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of speculating here. Yeah, it's but yeah, I, I, or whatever and yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, I would never give anyone a lotto ticket because I just couldn't live with my Myself, if it was the one, <laughs> the one that won, I, I, you know. If you gave it away, I, you should. I should, in I theory, like be really joyful that I gave someone such a wonderful gift. But oh, it'd be like of all the tickets I've bought in years, the one that I buy to give away is the one that wins. It would, oh. That is brilliant, mate. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. That's great. That's great. Hey, um, I yeah, I think it's I think it's a spectacular. I think it's, uh, it's legally maybe it might be a legal issue. I guess I don't know. Probably if you, not. If you sell someone no. a who's over in a lottery ticket, they put it in someone else's card. You can't know. Maybe there's maybe you're obliged to work out who it's being sent to, and the person that that, that gets the ticket must be over in or something. I don't know. Anyway, there you go, mate. Hopefully we help, mate. I, uh, I we love your idea. Maybe if the good people at Jumbo are listening, they can let us know. You can hit hit us up on Twitter or email or something else and let us know. Interesting right. company though. Interesting company. Tell me why it's interesting. It's like quick detour. Oh, there's a lot to sort of say about uh, Jumbo. They they That's had the agreement a little bit. <laughs> with Tab with Tabcorp as a reseller, and mm. you kind of think that seems like a pretty precarious sort of thing. You're sort of a middleman selling mm. someone other's product, but they've just done it so much better than yeah. than okay. the other guys. But the really cool thing about them is they've got this software that they can sell to other people to set up their lottery. So it's kind of a SaaS business, well it is, mm-hmm. and that's that's where their growth engine is, and they can mm-hmm. set up a lot of things for charities. They've got a lot of traction in that space, and mm-hmm. they do it very very well with their technology. And um, you know they they take a little clip of every every transaction that goes through, which is a nice little business model. Um, so that's the short version. I like it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm a shareholder too. The, they've re-signed the deal with Tabcorp, so it's going for a few years now. So that takes a bit of that risk away. Definitely risky. Um, at some point, 
you can imagine Tab Corp going, well, hang on, we're giving them this margin and why would we bother and why wouldn't we take it for ourselves? Um, whether that's even the right thing or not, it's a corporate decision that can be made even if it's the wrong decision. We've mm. seen with, um, remember, remember Vita Group? The yes. Telstra, Telstra shop people? Reseller, yeah. They were doing a great job. And yeah. so, time that Telstra looks over and goes, we could have that margin. And it's one of those things where you always want the other guy's margin, but you've got to make sure you actually do a better job of selling because, you know, making a, a slightly higher margin on less sales is not a very good idea. Sometimes you want to know what you're good at. Sometimes, look, if you want to be the, if you want to be the retailer, be the retailer. Uh, sometimes you're better off saying to someone else, hey, if you can make some money doing this, then we both win. Uh, I'm not sure Tosh should take that business away. But look, it's possible that uh, Jumbo loses that. that well, it can genuinely... It can genuine, genuinely be win-win as well because Correct. when you operate through a reseller network, I mean, you don't have all – yes, you get a smaller uh, gross margin than you yeah. otherwise would, but you also have much less costs <laughs> than, than you otherwise – if someone else is running all of that and you, you're, you're, you're still benefiting from every sale that gets made but without all of that burden. If someone is doing an extremely totally. good job of it – look at car dealerships, right? So, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Hyundai doesn't own <laughs> its dealerships. They're, they're all sort of <laughs> essentially franchises yeah. of right. sort. Um, and they're very happy of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look at Coca-Cola. It doesn't produce the stuff. <laughs> That's right. It just yeah, sells yeah. you the That's syrup totally and right. the brand, right? That's a great um, thing. Coke could have said, no, we want to we want to get rid of Coca-Cola bottles. We'll do all ourselves. I'm like, well, yeah. hang on. It makes more sense for us just to do the syrup and, and the brand and super capital light. Let someone else worry about the rest of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they both win if they do it well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very nice. Anyway. Move on. Hey, um, this one's from Philip. Hi, Scott Andrew. I'm a long-time listener and I thank you both for your contribution to the world of investing. Thank you, mate. I've made many of my decisions based on your knowledge and experience. I have a question for the mailbag, he says. I own a position in a small ASX-listed company named Red Cape Hotel Group, RDC is the code, which owns a number of pubs and hotels, bottle shops and accommodation along the east coast of Australia. The company has recently made a decision to delist from the ASX. As they have stated, since the IPO in November 2018, Red Cape has consistently traded at a discount to the director's net asset value, despite the strong operational performance reflected through positive increases in independent valuations across its portfolio. The company has offered current investors a buyback or they can remain invested in an open-ended, unlisted fund. The share price has since increased to the buyback amount. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the difference in the structure and the pros and cons of an open-ended, unlisted fund compared to the current ASX-listed stock. Many thanks, and that's from Phil. Good questions. One we don't get very often. It's a relatively unusual thing to have happen, but sometimes the directors say, you know what, we're not getting full value here. We're going to take this thing, not private in this case, just off the market and uh, and run it as an unlisted fund. What are your thoughts, mate? It's interesting. I hadn't, I'm hadn't. i not familiar with it. I'm just bringing it up mm-hmm. now. But wow, what a performance. You know, the, uh, yeah, right. you know, the, 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 the company's cash flow per share has doubled in the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Um, seems like they're, they're really delivering. Um, and if the market isn't recognising value and it's not serving you any... Mm-hmm. any it, the, the, the great thing about the market really is, is access to capital. Um, yep. that, that's why you list, to my mind. Yeah, there's, there's lots of really great companies you've never heard of um, that don't list, and why would they? Because, yeah. <laughs> because they're, they're making squillions. They don't need to raise capital on the market. They don't need to deal with all the compliance and dealing with fund managers and investors and AGA. Like, why, why would you do it? And if, if they're in a situation where they are entirely self-funded, very profitable business, that, that doesn't need that element of the market, then it, it probably makes a great deal of sense. Mm. Um, as per the exact structure, I think the, the from an investor's point of view, 
the great thing about the market is the liquidity that it affords. Yeah. Um, because I just jump onto my app and I'm, I'm, I'm an owner or I'm not an owner. I press and a do, few so buttons. do liquidity for me, mate. Just explain that topic. People are not sure what the idea of liquidity is for an investor. Well, so, you know, every every company has shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, share, uh, Strawman's got shareholders. We've got shares, but it's really hard to buy and sell shares because you've got to convince someone else to sell it or mm-hmm. if someone wants desperate to get rid of them, they've got to find someone else to buy it. It's a very long, difficult process to sort of go through. So that, yeah. that when you say liquidity, it's, well, it, it, it being illiquid means it's, it might have a notional value, but but to actually transact and to find a counterparty to that trade can be very difficult. Mm. Um, and and uh, yeah, so so liquidity so, in this play, in this case is the ease of which you can buy or sell your shares at a, at a you know reasonably easily, reasonably quickly. Right? Yeah. If you want to sell your house, it's going to take you six weeks, another month and a half to settle. Uh, maybe there's a buyer, maybe there's not. But yep. BHP has got buyers and sellers for its shares all days, every all day, every day, Monday to Friday, ten to four. So it's, yeah. it's called it's liquid because you can sell your interests right now and have the money in a couple of days' time. Yep, super liquid, and that, that that's a great thing for investors. Mm. Now, what about you, uh, Wax Lyrical? If you could for me on the actual structure, there, open ended off market fund. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll put my hand up. I'm not I'm not overly familiar with that structure. Open ended. Is uh, means that you new money can come in to it. Also so means there's no it, end date where it's going to be wrapped up. So open end means it's effectively perpetual. It goes for as long as the shareholders want it or the fund holders want it to remain in business. Right. It also means that if I want to buy in, I can do so without someone having to sell shares. They'll just issue more shares, right? Mm, depends how they run it. They may allow that. If depends how they operate it. So you, uh, yeah, <laughs> in theory, yes, okay. um, but. It depends on how they execute that particular dynamic. So some some will make it available regularly all the time. Mm-hmm. Others will raise capital semi-regularly at, at certain periods mm. um, or may choose not to at all. This is part of the challenge with it being unlisted is your access, as you've already said, to capital buying or selling is less obvious and less easy because, you know, you and I grab the ASX list. We're not looking for unlisted funds to invest in. Uh, so the chance that you and I will come across something like this is much less. And if you're, if you're holding you want to get out, again, you want to sell to someone who's looking to buy in. Uh, so it is a bit harder that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't so see yeah. how much they do, you delisting. Uh, uh, you, or you see delistings all the time because the companies go broke, but not yeah. not not a company that's doing well. I, I'm not familiar with... I can't think of another example, actually. I'm sure it's happened. Yeah, I, it, it has happened. Well, probably once every couple of years you see one, so it's really rare. It does happen. Um, it's hard because... I don't know Red Cape well enough to have a view and this is why it's a really difficult conversation to have a little bit about Red Cape because it, 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 in some cases, let me stress really, really clearly, I'm not saying this is a Red Cape at all, but in some cases, the idea of taking a company off the market is used by controlling shareholders as a way to mop up more of the company because they expect others will want to sell out and so mm. they get to effectively take ownership of more of the business um, off market by effectively kind of saying, well, it's going to go off market. You'll have to sell your shares if you don't want that. And so the company buys them back. That increases the value of the company and the remaining shareholders because remember, a buyback is all about the remaining shareholders because you're increasing their ownership stake of what they hope is a good business. And that's not unreasonable. It's not unfair. But if you're selling into a buyback normally, sometimes it's different with things like capital returns and stuff, but you know the company is only buying back at shares because it thinks the shares are undervalued. So if you're mm. selling into a buyback, you're, you're effectively saying, hey, now, again, I don't know about Red Cape, so I'm really not saying this is the case. Just some questions to ask, Phil. Um, pros and cons. Look, uh, I, 
I don't, unless the discount to net asset value was massive, I don't know that I'd want to be an unlisted fund for all the liquidity reasons you've mentioned, Ram, that may or may not have fewer obligations in terms of reporting. Uh, you may get less access to decision-making or you may not. And again, that's why this is really difficult. You've got to work out what the specific proposal is for Redcape. Um, we haven't looked into it and probably wouldn't for the podcast because it's super, super specific. And by the time we go through specific detail of Redcape, it's probably going to bore the rest of our listeners. Um, but I would... It would be unfair if a company was going to go private in this way. Um, public company, but an unlisted public company, so I should say to be clearer. Um, mm. If they're doing it to, you know, to to wipe out or towel up the, the little guys, that would be horribly unfair and they shouldn't do it. That being said, if I was owned a couple of shares or units in a company that was going to do it, I don't know that I'd want to stay for the journey unless there was obvious incremental value. Um, yeah, if you see a really, really super bright future for Red Cape, you're like, you know what? Yep, I'll, I'll deal with the downsides. There's no upside to being unlisted other than they'll save a little bit of listed, listing fees. Um, and maybe they may have a mechanism to your point around about buying and selling where they're buying and selling at the asset value rather than at whatever the share price is. So maybe it's even more more rationally, efficiently priced in that sense. Mm. If the value is real, the Motley Fool is a private company, a bit like a bit like Strawman. Um, every six months or ish, the company says, hey, this is what we think the share price is. And then they allow employees to buy some shares at that price or sell some shares at that price. Um, and if the if the assessment is done reasonably by the board, then everyone gets to buy or sell at a given price. And if that's a reasonable price, the, a net asset value, and that was more accurate than the market value, then... It's arguably more efficient. Now, efficient market people can argue about that, but ah, um, uh, yeah. Look, I, I would, you would struggle to get me to hang on to an unlisted public fund. How about you, Ram? Mm, I think generally, yeah, it, it depends. Is the question? I mean, what a strong <laughs> signal that they're sending. Um, that just that we we want to own more of it. We want to take it off, my, you know. Like yeah, they're not—they're yeah. not doing this because they think it's a stinking pile <laughs> of rubbish. <laughs> That's right. You know. So yeah, That's you lose right. some of that. Right. But if you are genuinely a long-term investor, yeah. you genuinely yeah. like what they're doing, and as yeah. you say, importantly, you do have some option to to get out. Maybe not as good as the market, mm. but there's still opportunities mm. there. I don't know. I, I mm. think I, I could be comfortable. Um, there, there's a couple of private investment opportunities I have missed out on because of that, which I regret. Okay. <laughs> Um, so it depends. It, it, okay. it, it depends. <clears throat> at face value coming at this fresh and, and five minutes ago, I'd never heard of, of this, mm. but it, it certainly signals that the the, the directors mm. uh, see see better value um, by doing this, and mm. um, yeah, they will buy a lot of people out, and and therefore they will hold a greater percent, and and they're doing that presumably because they've got great optimism for the future. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, but just yeah, as as we've said. Not to labour the point, just bear in mind there are there oh, right. are some there are some factors <laughs> to be aware of. Yeah, you just, want, you just I really think you just want to make sure that it's mm. you know you want to be unlisted for all of the lack of liquidity stuff there. Um, and if the buyback price is reasonable, by the way, and closest to the net asset value, then it's hard, right? It, it's endowment effect stuff as well. Like, do I, if I let this go and be, like you said, I regret the ones I missed because if I invested then X Y Z. On the flip side, same is true on the public markets. And there's examples, maybe you haven't had them, maybe you have where. You know, not investing was actually great because it saved you from a whole lot of pain. Again, on or off market, um, the market's there for a reason, right? Like, I just, I just think investing's hard enough without having to have stuff in unlisted, potentially illiquid stuff. Again, I don't, I'm not talking about recap at all specifically. It could be a great investment, and for all I know, this is going to be the best thing ever for investors who stay with it. So I'm not, I'm not. There's none of my comments directed at Redcape or your investment in Redcape at all. I literally just don't know. Mm. Um, but I just, I, I. 
it would take me a lot, mate, to, as I said, it would take me a lot to, to go on this just for the hassle. It's just, just not worth the hassle. Even, even yeah. my Motley Fool shares, for what it's worth. You know, I, I own them and I'm happy to own them and it's all, they're great, but I'm like, well, I can only get money out every six months if I want to and if I want the money, I've got to wait six months and then maybe there's a buyer, maybe there's not, maybe I like the price, maybe I don't. Um, there are there are downsides, there are drawbacks to it and, and that's a business that I know I, I work in, you know, <laughs> I'm employed by. Um, and so there's, just, there's, those, there's those issues as well. Yep, yep. We done? I think so. Very good. Thank you for spending a bit of time with us on this Sunday afternoon. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you do have questions, we would love to hear them. Seriously, please send us an email. You can email us at info at fool.com.au. Jump on any or all of the socials. Uh, you can find us right across the, let's go with Facebook first this time, uh, facebook.com slash Money or facebook.com slash Australia. Andrew is only on Twitter exclusively, thanks to his Seven-figure deal with Jack Dorsey. On Twitter, uh, he's at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. On Twitter or Insta, you can get me at TMF Scott P. The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. We're on YouTube, The Motley Fool Australia, and The Good Oil with Scott Phillips, the podcast that I do, which is coming up, the brand new episode in two days. Subscribe now, listen to the last episode, and get ready for the next one because it's going to be well and truly worth listening to. I, I was going to say I'm sure. I know because I've already done the interview. There's a heads up. Make sure you listen. See you on Friday, mate. I'll be here. Beautiful. Thank you, Phils. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.